surprise, it's halftime. Because what would a good sports program be without a halftime show? Look, I know a lot of you have a secret. You listen to this show and aren't actually obsessed with the sports part of sports. So why not give you what you came for? A halftime performance to remember and incredibly expensive ads. Well, I don't have the ads yet, but when this podcast becomes the most listened to Jews and sports podcast of all time, I'm sure the advertisers are going to flock to this episode, knowing that I've delivered them the Shakira J-Lo one-two punch of Jews and sports conversation and commentary. I'm Meredith Shiner, and this is Halftime of the Franchise, Jews, Sports, and America. Today, we're going to get a little meta. A halftime show about halftime shows. That means what you'll hear will be structured almost exactly like any other halftime show you've ever witnessed. A marriage of fun entertainment and serious analysis of the game so far. I'm going to let you into the locker room and share with you the inspiration for the sound of this show. Look at me, taking back locker room talk for the ladies. We're going to chat with the creator of the Knicks City Dancers, the most famous NBA dance troupe east of the Laker Girls, and how their music helped define an era of NBA basketball. I'm also going to analyze this season of the franchise so far, assessing what we've talked about in the context of what has been happening in the world around us. I don't want to try to be cute about it, and I don't want to harsh the vibe of this episode before we even dig in. But one of the big reasons I'm breaking into your regularly scheduled franchise programming is because I feel like I would be remiss if I did not take the opportunity of this platform to address Kyrie Irving, his anti-Semitism, his inability to apologize, and the utter lack of genuine forceful response from the NBA. If you haven't been following the news, the gist is this. Seven-time NBA All-Star and conspiracy theorist MVP Kyrie Irving can't stop posting anti-Semitic material to his social media channels. He also can't stop not apologizing for it. Kyrie is many things, but sorry is not one of them. But... Before we get into that conversation and game out where we all go from here, let's get in a time machine to the 1990s. Put ourselves in Madison Square Garden, because honestly, fuck the Nets, and enjoy a little glitz and glam NBA Jam nostalgia. Before beginning this series, I had written more than a million words for publication but I had never scripted a podcast. And the thing about a podcast is that my words are only half the deal. The other half is the sound. And so I remember so vividly when my executive producer, Josh Cross, asked me what the sound of this show should be. 
the beats that would bring my words to life, to create the vibes of the show. What could transform this idea in my head for what this show could be into what it is? My answer was immediate. My show should sound like 1990s NBA basketball in-stadium hip-hop music. In my brain, I was at the United Center at a Bulls game of my youth or listening to the greatest hit CD that contained all of the team's stadium bops. Josh heard this and understood it instantly, but leveled it up in its Jewiness by taking it east. Oh, you need the show to sound like Go New York Go, he said, the 1990s anthem of the New York Knicks. It was the perfect call, and also an incredible example of the magic of being Jewish. Because the brains behind the development of Go New York Go in 1994 was Pam Harris, the aunt of my other executive producer, Stephanie Butnick. The power of Jewish geography is undefeated. Pam was one of the rare women executives in basketball back in the 90s, rising through the ranks of the Knicks and Madison Square Garden marketing departments to become senior vice president, a role she held until 2000. She basically developed the modern in-game experience at the Garden, which includes creating the Knicks City Dancers and spearheading the creation of a Knicks anthem. Basically, she's a total badass and also an actual, literal inspiration for the entire sound of this show. Going into this episode, I had a hunch that Go New York Go was Jewish. But everything that Pam told me not only confirmed my choice of this sound, it also made me feel like this whole thing was beshared. Here's Pam telling me how Go New York Go still makes her feel nearly 30 years after it was first created. When you hear it today, like, what are your feelings still about it? Oh my God, I explode. I get so excited. If I go to a Knicks game, it's like, if they just have to play it. I'm in love with rituals. Like, things happen at a certain time. So when you come to a game, like I used to go see the Chicago Bulls play in Chicago. Third quarter break, whatever is happening in the game, Benny the Bull comes out with the flag and they just do this. And it's like, it's so exciting. And I'm like, what are the rituals we can have? What are the things that you know are always going to happen? And so Nancy Grunfeld had a clothing line and she was working with this guy, like a young, up and coming, cool music artist called Jesse Itzler. And she was like, you should talk to Jesse. You know, maybe he could do like a song for the Knicks. And we were like, yes, we need like a theme song. Like, that would be so great. That would be so great. And he wrote this song called Go New York Go. And we worked with him and put in different players and everything. And just from the start, we all just went crazy about it. And Jesse Itzler was in partnership with Kenny Dichter, two great hysterical genius guys. And from that... Like, I think it was TNT got them to do, like, the bumper for their TNT games. And then other teams got them to do something like the Charlotte Hornets, I think, at the time. But we were so excited. And you just would wait for the moment in the game when you could play it. You know what I mean? 
it had to be the right moment. You know, those games were very carefully scripted, but with a lot of like room to move, obviously. I mean, literally everything that you just described was so Jewish. From <laughs> Nancy the, like, Grunfeld. We need rituals to build community to Jesse Itzler. Like, go New York, go is it's Jewish. Jewish. It's totally Jewish. In other words, Go New York Go is so Jewish because the woman who was most responsible for it understands sports like we do, that they're about ritual, experience, and feelings that we can hold on to for a lifetime. And now, a quick word from our incredibly important, big-time, and very real sponsors. Welcome back to the Franchise Halftime Show. This is the part where we've returned to the studio for a serious talk on the state of the game. Being Jewish is something I've never apologized for. But something I have on occasion apologized for is having gone to Duke. Every few months, I sit at our kitchen island after the toddler has gone to bed and something outrageous has happened in the news. And I refresh my personal leaderboard of the people I consider to be the most embarrassing, worst Duke alumni. I used to limit the list to people who are alive and actually received their degrees from Duke. It was a way to weed out Richard Nixon and Richard Spencer and to create space for another entrant after Ken Starr died. I always have Stephen Miller at the top of the list, but I've wrestled with where to put Kyrie Irving. Frankly, at this point, keeping him off the leaderboard because he'll never graduate is a cop-out and a position I can no longer defend. Because Duke basketball players, no matter how many games they played at Duke, are the most influential important alumni our school puts out into the world, whether we like it or not. And Kyrie Irving is dangerous. He has 4.6 million followers on Twitter. He has 17.6 million followers on Instagram. And he used that enormous platform to spotlight an anti-Semitic movie that questions the Holocaust and leverages white supremacist tropes to try to pit Black Americans against Jewish Americans. He also shared a resurfaced 2002 anti-Semitic video from Alex Jones, one of the nation's most notorious right-wing extremists. Here's Kyrie in a press conference trying to pick and choose his Alex Jones conspiracies as if they are severable and somehow tiered in legitimacy instead of all incredibly dangerous and bad. That was a few weeks ago. I do not stand with Alex Jones' position, narrative, court case that he had with Sandy Hook, or any of the kids that felt like they had to relive trauma, or parents that had to relive trauma, or to be dismissive to all the lives that were lost during that uh, tragic event. My, my post was a post from Alex Jones that he did in the early 90s or late 90s about secret societies in America of occults, and it's true. Saying you agree with Alex Jones, but only on the anti-Semitic stuff, not on the calling of the murder of 21st graders a hoax, is 
uh, not an apology. But you know what? I don't want an apology from Kyrie. What I want is accountability. And so many of the institutions around Kyrie have failed to truly hold him accountable. So let's call them out by name. The Brooklyn Nets, the NBA, the NBA Players Association, of which Kyrie still serves as vice president, even after he was ineligible to play half of last NBA season because he refused to get vaccinated. And they failed because they don't care enough to actually stop him. I think the NBA dropped the ball. The other night on TNT's Inside the NBA, former player-turned-analyst Charles Barkley took the important and, in my view, correct position that whatever punishment the Nets or the league would give Kyrie already was too late. It would be a reaction to the controversy instead of a forceful message that Kyrie's anti-Semitism is wrong. I think the NBA, they made a mistake. We have suspended people and fined people who have made homophobic slurs. Uh, and that, that was the right thing to do. I think if you insult the, uh, the black community, you should be suspended or fined heavily, depending. I saw they did the same thing to the kid in Minnesota this year when he made the gay slur. I think you should get suspended or fined. Him acknowledging the Alex Jones thing, should have, something should have happened with that too, because that dude's crazy. I can't believe that we ain't talking about that. We're talking about this idiot. And if I say, hey, I'm agreeing with this movie, this book, or whatever, I'm agreeing with it. When you're somebody as great as basketball like him, people going to listen to you what you say. The reason is too late. The NBA is giving in to peer pressure. If one of our players do something, they have the right, the team or the, the, or the league has to do something immediately. If you just get, give in to peer pressure, that's the problem I have. This should have been handled already. After days of non-apologies and relative silence, and promises that the player who literally previously said that the earth is flat will learn from his mistakes, which he clearly doesn't even believe are mistakes. A five-game suspension is garbage. It feels like a wink and a nudge toward a path where the NBA hopes we can all just move on from this debacle. But we can't move on from this debacle. Because it's not actually a debacle. It is the outgrowth of a clear, sustained, growing, and existential threat that anti-Semitism poses not just to Jews, but also to our democracy. Maybe you're listening to this and wondering what Kyrie Irving has to do with American democracy, thinking it's some stretch to connect him to the rest of the news we see every day. The problem with white supremacy and anti-Semitism, though, they are inherently political. We cannot understand Kyrie without understanding the country and the political moment in which he exists, in which we exist. And it's not just Jews who should be alarmed when someone with Kyrie's platform and influence on popular culture is connecting himself to the Alex Jones right-wing conspiracy machine which is animating a major political party and reshaping the way all of us get to live our lives. Weaponizing hate is not a new political tactic. 
It has been effective before. It's effective now. And we know it can be effective again. This is a movie we have seen. And it's one whose ending we are supposed to never forget. In the face of pushback to Kyrie's anti-Semitism, his supporters are upholding him as an inspiration, a truth-teller, a model of freedom of speech in a world where Jews are trying to limit his voice through their control of business and media. But we know who Kyrie is. He's an anti-Semite. He's a bigot. And he's an idiot. And the thing that makes me most fearful in this moment is that it should be so easy for people more powerful than me. People like NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, a fellow Jewish Duke alum, to say these same things out loud and then to back those words with action. Adam Silver said Kyrie's posts were reckless, as if Kyrie accidentally retweeted the wrong post instead of seeking out content that reflects his views and sharing it with the world. When I signed up to do this show, I did not realize that it would air concurrently with a powerful NBA player promoting anti-Semitic propaganda. A former president threatening U.S. Jews to get their act together before it's too late. And one of the world's most famous rappers saying he wants to go death con three on the Jewish people. I wanted to celebrate Jews and sports, set to go New York go. And I hoped you could see yourself in that celebration, which I would lead without fear. Without fear of tackling the big questions facing Jews today. Because what's a Jewish celebration without reflection and a serious turn? And also without fear that being the person who so publicly asks those questions would make me a target in a time of peril. But here I am. And here we are. Together. A community that will celebrate all that we've gained without ever forgetting that our fight to be here endures. This struggle, this is the Jews and America part of our tagline, Jews, Sports, and America. On our next regularly scheduled episode of The Franchise, we'll tackle the challenges of anti-Semitism head on. We'll ask if it hurts contemporary American Jews when team owners, who also happen to be Jewish, are among the most hated figures in all of sports. I'm Meredith Shiner. I love being Jewish. And I'll see you next time. Hey, producer Josh. Here's my contractually mandated Sandy Koufax reference for this episode. We got it in there.